What have you inherited from your family? And how are you managing it? From beginning to end, the Bible speaks in the language of family. Adam and Eve are the first people, the first family. And the Bible ends in Revelation with a vision of all the families of the earth gathered together in the heavenly city with God in the midst of them. In between, Paul has this saying where he, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, but now I put childish things behind me, speaking about uh, his new perspective in faith. Meanwhile, uh, a few decades earlier, Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Last summer, a few of us were bouncing around ideas about our our church's ministry with families. We were thinking about the needs of families in our congregation. How can we as a community of faith support each other and encourage one another in growth and in our journeys as families, given all the variety of families we are? the different stages of life we are in. And we don't need to be told that American families are changing, have been changing, continue to to change moving forward. So it is a particular challenge to communities of all kinds of faith to figure out how can we support this institution called the family. We live in a culture that really is uh, pretty narcissistic, and yet we preach a gospel that says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. How How do you communicate that intergenerationally? How do you live that out in the midst of a home? So I'm deviating from the lectionary readings today Uh, as we start a month-long series of Christian education program that has to do with families. And so this is really a a part communion homily, part launching pad for a month of work together as we think about what it means to be followers of Christ in our families, whatever they look like these days. So let us listen now for the word of God as it comes to us first from Psalm 78. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our forefathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, God's power and the wonders God has done. God decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which God commanded our forebears to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. They would not forget God's deeds. They would keep God's commandments. 
And then these are the commandments, or at least a slice of it, from Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then down to what we have called the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother so that it will be well with you and you will live long in the land that I am giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I imagine the youth group is wondering, why would I begin the new year with honor your father and mother? Couldn't you have gone someplace else, Bill, with your January sermon? Maybe you identify with the YouTube video that came out a couple of years ago. It, it revealed a generational schism. Uh, it was put out by a young man named Jeff Bethke. And he had over 10 million views or hits or whatever they call those things on YouTube uh, in four days. And uh, the title of his little video was, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And the video described Jesus as full of grace and truth and freedom and religion as being comprised of man-made rules and image management, and behavior modification, and judgmentalism. So we know that one of the things going on in our family of faith is the challenge of communicating from one generation to the next the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurates. Maybe more than a generational shift Diana Butler Bass would say that we're in a shift of, a, of 500 years in our sociology of the church. As I was thinking about the launch of this month in Christian education and looking at our families, I thought, you know, we need a foundational text to consider. And you, we never really outgrow the Ten Commandments. We never get too old to hear them and consider them. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard tells the story of a sea captain and his novice sailor. And the captain uh, gives the the young sailor the helm and says, "I'm, I'm going to go catch some sleep tonight. You keep your eye on the North Star, keep the beam headed on the North Star, whatever you do. Captain goes below decks. A couple hours later, he comes back up, finds the young sailor asleep, and he wakes him up. The young sailor says, oh, I'm so sorry, Captain, I'm so sorry. Give me a new star. Give me something else to to align with so I can get back on course. And of course, the captain said, you never pass the North Star. You can't pass the North Star nor can we outgrow the validity of the Ten Commandments. Walter Brueggemann has called the Ten Commandments the antidote to the distortions of modern life that we hear and see. Calvin said, you know, the Ten Commandments really are the grace of God that lead to the pathway of freedom for us. They were given to liberated people to keep them free. We kind of think 
of freedom perhaps as like a dog who gets off his leash. And the dog is free until you realize he's out in the middle of the road and he's confused and he's afraid and he's in danger. That's not freedom. The commandments were given to a people who were about to begin a long journey on a hard road toward transformation. And when you really think about transformation, that is where it almost always happens, on a hard road. And so today I want to focus on the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. I have, uh, Peggy and I, we have a number of family pictures around our home. I bet you have family pictures. uh, Pictures of your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, people that have gone before you. Now, in our family, those people did not really live to know my children. And so we wanted our children to know the stories of their ancestors We wanted them, even though they never met them, to hear about the things that they had lived through, what kind of people they were. They had lived through the first war and the second war, through the Great Depression, through all kinds of of tragedies in the family and, and accomplishments in spite of the struggle. Their faith stood up to all of these adversities. Their faith stood the tests of time. We wanted our kids to understand those lives and to appreciate that kind of faith. And so we we told them stories when they would let us about aunt so-and-so or great-grandmother so-and-so when they came over from Europe and how they overcame poverty and, and various things like that. You've probably done things like that with, with your kids, if you, if you have kids of that age. And so we know that our children are living in an age where they're uh, invited to believe in various mythologies that won't stand the tests of adversity. One such mythology is, is the idea that we can choose our way to happiness, That if we just make the right choices and if we have enough freedom to make whatever choices we want, we'll eventually be fulfilled. Our identity and our purpose is not to be found at home. It's to be found when we leave home, when we get out on our own and can think for ourselves and experiment and try some new things and choose our way. It starts when you're little. Think about a little child, like a little boy who maybe just accidentally throws a rock through a neighbor's window. Now, I know that would never happen, but say he did. And, and his mother comes to him and says, Now, Johnny, was that a good choice? Choices. We invite our kids to see the world as open to unlimited freedom of choice, as if life is an a la carte buffet of choices and it it is to be self-constructed and self-chosen. 
You choose the school that you will go to. You will choose the major that you will have. And if you get into pre-med and then you run up against biochemistry, then you just change majors and you go, well, maybe I'll go pre-law. Uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go into uh, English or we, maybe multiple changes. And then, you know, we choose our friends and if the friends don't work out, we will find new friends. A job will Finally, the kids come to the point where they're out of school, they're ready to get a job, and we say, choose a job, any job, just, just a job, choose one. And they do, but then, you know, it doesn't pay enough, they don't rise the ladder quick enough, and so then they're, they're choosing something else, or they're wondering why isn't this more fulfilling or more rewarding. They'll choose a church, and if it isn't meeting their needs, they'll choose another church, maybe choose a spouse, that isn't working out. And so life is self-assembled, something that we, we build through the accumulation of almost trial and error, of choosing and re-choosing, starting over, not honoring father and mother. For to honor one's predecessors is to see the inheritance of life, to see life as a mystery that is given by God through our families, as well as through other sources. But our families are a, a tremendous shaper of our lives. And so the key is how will we receive the inheritance? What will we do with it? How will we respond to what we have been given? Jacob and Esau, the story of unwise response. Esau trades his birthright for a pot of soup. The story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells is another example of someone who trades in their inheritance for, for a different choice. And then the elder brother misconstrues his inheritance as well and completely misses out on the blessing that has been his. So the fifth commandment is about wise responses to what we have been given by the grace of God through our families. Now, the fifth commandment doesn't say, stay with your father and mother. <laughs> it, it doesn't say, adopt the values of your father and mother, or join the political party of your father and mother, or the same church even. It doesn't even say, love your father and mother. For we know that there are some who have families that have been so uh, broken that love is a, a problematic thing. And yet, even there, there is an inheritance worth exploring. And there is value to exploring, to exploring what it means to be a part of your family, not swallowing whole 
anything that you've received, but also not just rejecting out of hand everything. Honor your father and mother is to receive the life that you have been given, the life that is shaping you, and to consider how the grace of God is working in it. I'm reminded of my two grandmothers, Luetta and Betsy. Luetta was my mother's mother, and she grew up on the farms in Ohio, but she went away to the city and became sophisticated, went to the big city of Toledo and learned uh, the finer things of life for a few years, but then she married my grandfather, moved back to the farm, but when we went to have dinner at Luetta's house, there was always uh, white linen on the table, there were more utensils than I knew what to do with, there was a sense in which you had to be invited to sit down at the table. You didn't just go sit. And the food was plentiful and, and wonderful, but you could never really touch it. You, you had to have utensils and different tools to touch the food and to pass it. And you never spoke unless you were spoken to. Really, there were just a lot of unwritten rules. None of this written down. None of it really explained. You just had to watch and be careful, and, and learn how to behave at Luetta's table. But oh, was the food good. Betsy's table was this big old round table with this gingham plastic tablecloth over it in the kitchen, and you just found a place at the table and started eating. And people were talking and grabbing food. And if something fell on the floor, you just quickly picked it up before the dog got it. And you, you just, it, it was, you know, someone knocks on the door in the middle of the meal. Well, come on in, have a seat. We'll make room. There was laughter and energy. That, too, was my inheritance. And I think about that today. We come to the table of the Lord. Sometimes I think our theology is the theology of Betsy's table. You know, everybody's welcome. A table of thanksgiving. And and that our practice is more like Luetta's table, where we need to be careful how we do it. Where we're watching to see and make sure it's all orderly. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't think one is necessarily uh, more valuable than the other. I think the inheritance I received at Luetta's table is just as valuable as at Betsy's. It's important to know how to be polite with people that you don't necessarily like. It's important to know how to be quiet and let someone else talk. We need to learn how to do these things in church. That's a part of being a loving community. And so having the respect and giving respect, respecting with reverence this place, 
while holding on to the hospitality, the joy, the laughter, the singing. That's all a part of our inheritance. What is your inheritance? How are you managing it? I'd like to invite us, all of us, this January to use these four weeks to discern how to make wise and good responses to the grace that we have been given by God in our families. Amen.